The following sermon is by Dr. Chuck Register, Interim Pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. Well, good morning. Take your copy of God's Word in hand and turn with me to Mark chapter 3. Mark's Gospel, the third chapter. In a moment, we'll be reading together from Mark chapter 3. Jamie, thank you so much for crafting a worshipful season in this service. Thank you for carrying us to the Lord's throne, for, for your beautiful voice, uh, for the way you lead. And, and I'm amazed that you can play a box. I, I'm amazed at that. You know, the, these guys, they get to cheat. They have real instruments to play, but they just give you a box to play, and you played it well. So thank you for that. I, I appreciate that very much. Charlene and I are delighted to be here with you this morning. Uh, we are excited that in a few weeks we'll uh, begin a journey together uh, as interim pastor and congregation. I look forward to sharing with you God's Word week in and week out. I promise you that I'll do my very best uh, to take you to the Word, to help you swim, if you will, within the text, uh, so that when we leave from worship on Sunday morning, you will have heard from the Father. Uh, it will not be sufficient for you to hear from me. I have nothing to offer you of eternal value, but I know a father who loves you, and I know he has a son who can change and transform not only your eternity, but your earthly life as well. And so if I can direct you each week to the Word and help you to understand, thus saith the Lord, then for me, mission accomplished. That's my responsibility as your interim pastor going forward. To introduce Charlene and I some, we're, we're not from North Carolina. We're Floridians. Uh, we grew up. Uh, we began dating in high school. I was a senior. She was a freshman. I, I hung on to that verse, train up a child in the way they should go. And, and we began to date. Uh, and one date turned into a month, and a month turned into four years, and four years turned into a standing at the altar at First Baptist Church of Stark, Florida. I'll be sharing a little bit more about our life together uh, in this message. But we're Floridians. We uh, moved from Florida to New Orleans Seminary uh, right after we were married, from New Orleans back to Florida in pastoral ministry, uh, from Florida back to New Orleans to be a part of the faculty there for a season at New Orleans Seminary, from New Orleans to Gulfport, Mississippi, and then from Mississippi to North Carolina. We didn't grow up in North Carolina, but we got here as quickly as we could. And we love the state. We love the people of the state. We love the geography of the state. It's just a joy uh, to be in the Tar Hill State as residents. I'll invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. We'll be reading together Matthew, excuse me, Mark chapter 3, beginning with verse 13. I'll invite you to read silently as I read aloud, and we'll listen together. For these are the words inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he, speaking of Jesus, went upon the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve so that they would be with him, and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out the demons. And he appointed the twelve. Father, would you unlock this text for us today, not simply in our minds for understanding, but in our hearts for application. 
Lord, may we take this text and live by this text in the days and nights and weeks and months and years to come. May this text, applied by your Holy Spirit, transform us in our walk. And Father, may we look much more like Jesus in the days to come than we ever have in the past. That is our heart's desire. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you're being seated, I would share with you that we studied this morning one of my favorite passages in all of the New Testament. We come to Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 3 and beginning with verse 13, and it's a pivotal moment in the earthly ministry of Jesus. As a matter of fact, theologians tell us that this marks the, the pivot point in Mark's gospel. For beginning with chapter 3, verse 13 and following, Jesus has his eyes set toward the cross. He knows what's on the horizon. Mark's not going to record for us Calvary for many chapters to come, but Jesus knows in Mark chapter 3, verse 13, that Calvary is before him, the resurrection is before him, and the ascension to the right hand of the Father is before him. And so he pivots his ministry at this critical moment we study that pivot today. Come back with me to the text. Let me show you this pivotal moment in the life of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus went up on the mountain and summoned those who he himself wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12. And it's interesting. In verse 13, Jesus does exactly opposite of what we attempt to do in the church today. In, in verse 13, Jesus takes his eyes off of the crowd and he begins to focus on a small handful of men. In, in the church today, we take whatever size our congregation happens to be and we want to grow it. We want it to become larger and larger and larger. And so we sometimes compare this week's attendance to last week's attendance, or we compare this week's attendance to last year's attendance. We're tracking how is the church growing. We long and pray for and work toward the church to grow with members and to mushroom. But in verse 13, the Lord Jesus Christ does exactly the opposite. You see, back in verse 7, the Lord had the crowd with him. Look back at verse 7 of Mark chapter 3. Jesus withdrew to the sea with his disciples. In verse 7, this word disciples generically means the followers, those who are curious and listening to the teachings of Jesus. Jesus withdrew to the sea with his disciples. And a great multitude from Galilee followed and also from Judea. And from Jerusalem and from Idumea and beyond the Jordan, the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon, a great number of people followed all that he was doing and came to him. Verses 7 and 8, Jesus has the masses who are following him. Jesus stops to teach and there's a crowd. Jesus stops and, and performs a miracle and there's a throng of people who witness the miraculous power of Jesus. Jesus stands to preach and the scripture says it's a multitude of listeners. But when we come to verse 13, Jesus seemingly shifts his focus. He takes his eyes off of this crowd, this mass, this great number of people who are following him, and he begins in verse 13 to focus on 12 men. And these 12 men will be his focus from now through the end of Mark's gospel. 
It's not that Jesus will ignore the crowd. The crowd will continue to follow him. The crowd will continue to hear his preaching and his teaching, to witness his miracles. But the focus of the Lord Jesus Christ shifts. No longer focused on the masses, now focused on 12 men. Why? Jesus knows the cross is before him. Jesus knows the resurrection is in his future. Jesus knows that his ascension to the right hand of the Father is going to unfold. And he must prepare the early church. He must prepare that small group of followers who will be loving him and following him at the moment of his ascension. He must provide for them the leadership that will allow the church to flourish and be bold and be strong in the first century. And so Jesus takes his eyes off the crowd he begins to focus on 12 men. That's the basic reason that Jesus makes this adjustment in his ministry. But Mark then records for us two specific purposes for these actions of Jesus. Look back at the text. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and he summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed 12. Now watch these two words in verse 14, so that. The two words so that in English are, are purpose clause words. These, these two words, grammarians tell us, make up a purpose clause. As a matter of fact, Jesus is about to share with us the purpose, the specific purpose for why he chose the twelve. You want to know why Jesus chose the twelve? Well, Mark's about to tell us. So that, purpose clause. Now look at these two reasons that Mark gives us. And he appointed 12 so that, number one, they would be with him. And that, number two, he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out the demons. Mark says Jesus took his eyes off the crowd. He pivots. He's going to focus the rest of his ministry on 12 men so that, number one, they would be with him. And number two, he can send them out to do what I call Jesus stuff, to preach to perform miracles, to cast out demons. He, he wants his disciples to be with him, number one, second purpose, so that he can send them out to engage in ministry. Now, ladies and gentlemen, when Mark writes that, in essence, he's writing chronologically. By that, I mean that's how the gospel of Mark unfolds from this point forward. Mark is going to record for us, we're going to see it in the text in a moment, he's going to record for us a season in which... The twelve are with Jesus. Then he's going to have a moment in which Jesus launches them out in ministry and he sends them out to do Jesus stuff. So he writes chronologically. Let me show you this in the text. Look with me, if you will, chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1. And he began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got in a boat in the sea and sat down, and the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things. Verse 10. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. You see, Mark is unfolding chronologically. Jesus begins to teach about the parables, and the disciples are with Jesus. They're there listening. They're there learning. They're with Christ. That continues for several chapters. Look with me, chapter 4, verse 26. 
Jesus teaches about the parable of the seed and, and the twelve are with him. Verse 30, he teaches about the parable of the mustard seed and the twelve are with him. Verse 35, we see this wonderful story that Jesus has the power to calm a restless sea. He has power over nature and the twelve are with him. We come to chapter 5, verse 1, the Gerizim demoniac, and we see that Jesus has power not only over nature but over the spiritual world and the twelve are with him. Come to chapter 5, verse 21. There Jesus heals a woman with an issue of blood for 12 years. The 12 are with him. We come down just a little further than verse 21 and he heals Jairus' daughter and while the 12 are not there, the inner circle is there with him, Peter, James, and John. But when we come to chapter 6, look what happens in chapter 6, verse 7. And he summoned the 12 and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Verse 12, they went out and preached that men should repent. They were casting out many demons and were anointing with all many sick people and healing them. Mark Chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, Jesus called the twelve so that they would be with him and then he could send them out to engage in life-changing ministry. Mark is writing chronologically. That's how his gospel unfolds. But ladies and gentlemen, I would ask you to consider with me this morning that perhaps Mark is not just simply writing chronologically. Maybe this morning we see that Mark is writing addressing priority. Priority. You see, what I mean by that is, is Jesus is saying to the twelve, he calls the twelve so that, number one, first priority, they would be with him, and second priority, he can send them out to engage in ministry. Is it possible that Mark is really speaking about the priorities of Jesus? That Jesus is more concerned in our lives that we spend time with him than he is that we're engaged in doing ministry. You see, as I travel, ladies and gentlemen, I speak to people and many times they identify themselves by the ministries they're engaged in at the church. You meet someone and they tell you, well, I'm a deacon here at, at this church or I'm a Sunday school teacher at this church or I sing in the choir at this church. And somehow, if we're not careful, we seem to drape our Christianity in the numbers of jobs that we fulfill through the ministry of the local church. And we lose sight of the fact that Jesus has a priority for us. And the priority is before we engage in ministry, before we engage in service, that we spend time with him. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that tomorrow morning you call the church office and resign from every position that you have at Emmanuel. We need you to be involved in ministry. You need to be involved in ministry. That is part of walking with Christ. What I'm trying to communicate this morning is that Jesus has priorities that are spelled out in Scripture. And his priority before being busy in ministry, his priority is that we would spend time with him. I think I can prove it from Scripture. Keep your finger, Mark chapter 3. We're going to come back there in, in just a moment. But come with me to Luke's Gospel. Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. We see, excuse me, Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. I beg your pardon. Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. We see a very familiar story. Luke, chapter 10, 
Look with me, verse 38. You'll recognize these ladies immediately. Now, as they were traveling along, he, speaking of Jesus, entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. So here's the scene. Jesus is traveling. He walks into this village. The, the name of the village is insignificant. Mark doesn't even, excuse me, Luke doesn't even tell us the name of the village. But in this household, Martha has invited the Lord Jesus. And as they walk into the household, here's Mary, her sister, and she's seated at the feet of Jesus. Now, what's Martha doing? Come back to the text. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with all of her preparations. Now, what we know from other passages of Scripture is that Martha's busy preparing a meal for the Lord Jesus. He's been traveling. He's tired. He's thirsty. He's hungry. She's invited him into her home. And, and just like you ladies, she has dashed into the kitchen to get something to feed her Lord. In my mind's eye, I can see her in there cooking. She's got biscuits in the oven. She's got mustard greens on the top of the stove. Oh, I love mustard greens. She's frying some chicken. She's, she's preparing a feast for the Lord. And there's Mary. She's just seated at the feet of Jesus, just listening. Martha's perspiring. Martha has rolled up her sleeves. Martha is busy working. As a matter of fact, come back at the text. Let me show you the words that Luke uses. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with all of her preparations. The word preparations there means service. It, it means to, to work hard, to work earnestly, to labor at a task. Martha's busy preparing a meal for the Lord. And look what the Bible says about all of her preparations. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with all of her preparations. The word distracted there literally means to be drawn away. Her preparation, her ministry to the Lord, preparing a meal for the Lord is a wonderful thing to do, but her activity, her ministerial activity that has her in the kitchen has pulled her away, drawn her away from the Lord. Mary is seated at his feet. She's listening to every word that the Lord has to teach, every word that the Lord has to say. Now, the text tells us that Martha becomes indignant. Martha, as a matter of fact, begins to chastise our Lord. Come back with me, verse 40. But Martha was distracted with all of her preparations, and she came up to Jesus and said, Lord... Do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. Look what the Lord says. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Martha, you're busy. You're busy involved in ministerial activity. But Mary, Mary has chosen the one thing that's good. She is just simply spending time with me. She is seated at my feet, drinking in every word that I have to teach. Mary has chosen the good thing. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the Lord has a priority in our life. Before it's being busy in ministry, it's spending time with him. Now, this must be a difficult lesson to learn because Martha doesn't learn this lesson very well. 
You see, this passage of Scripture, this narrative in, in Luke's Gospel, this is about six months before the cross. Now come with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Look what happens in John chapter 12. John chapter 12 is six days before the cross. Six months later, let's see if Martha has learned this lesson about the priorities of Jesus. Verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving. The word serving there means to wait tables. There's Martha again. She's busy waiting tables. She's busy preparing a meal and serving a meal to our Lord. But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. This must be a hard lesson to learn. Because in six months, Martha hasn't mastered it. She's still busy waiting tables. Mary is still busy just being with Jesus. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you this morning, based upon the authority of God's holy word, the Lord Jesus Christ would much rather you be with him than you fill your life with religious activity. Because if you fill your life with religious activity, but you're not spending time with the Lord, you're simply going through religious activity. But if you fill your life with Jesus and you spend time with Him and you are with Him, then out of that relationship will flow ministry that has kingdom impact. The priority is to be with Jesus. So the question is this morning, what does it mean to be with Jesus? If the priority Jesus has for your life and the priority Jesus has for my life is that we will be with him, Mark chapter 3, what does it mean to be with Jesus? Come back to Mark chapter 3. Let, let me see if I can show you from the text what it means to be with Jesus, to fulfill this top priority that Jesus has for your life and my life. Verse 14. And Jesus appointed 12 so that purpose clause that they would, number one, be with him. This phrase, be with him, is used in three different ways in the New Testament. I think all three meanings apply to this passage of Scripture. First of all, this phrase, be with him, sometimes in the New Testament speaks of proximity. It means to be close to someone in proximity with your life. Now, I know this is going to be a wild stretch, but if you'll just pretend that Jim is Jesus, okay? That's a stretch, I know. What is, what is Jesus saying this passage of Scripture? He's saying that we should live our lives in proximity to Him. That we should try to live our lives as close to Him as we possibly can. The trouble is, for many who are followers of Christ, Monday through Saturday, we want a little distance between us and Jesus. We want to make sure that He, he doesn't crimp our style, if you will. On Sunday, we don't mind being close to Jesus because that's what's expected in Southern culture. And so we try to get as close to Jesus as we can on Sunday in proximity to Him. But on Monday and through Saturday, we want a little distance. And Jesus says to us that He wants us to live our life in as close a proximity to Him as we possibly can. My daughter helped to illustrate this to me. Our daughter now is 30 years of age. 
and she's a director of children's and missions ministries at a church here in the Raleigh Metroplex. But when she was about four years of age, we lived on the campus of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. In our backyard, there were pine trees that just raced toward the heavens. They were the tallest pine trees I'd ever seen. And in New Orleans, if you know anything about the climate of New Orleans, there are lightning thunderstorms that roll through New Orleans on a periodic basis. On this particular evening, there was a storm brewing outside. It was time to put Tina to bed, so I carried her to her bed. I tucked her in. I kissed her on the cheek. I said, honey, now just close your eyes and go to sleep, and Daddy will see you in the morning. And as I turned to walk away, boom, boy, one of those big thunderclaps of thunder just roared. Before I could take a second step, I heard, Daddy, Daddy, I'm scared. I walked back to her bed. I, I tucked her in a little tighter this time. I kissed her on both cheeks. I said, honey, that storm's on the outside. Your daddy's going to take care of you. He's not going to let anything bother you. You just close your eyes and go to sleep, and I'll see you in the morning. I turned to walk out of her room. I took three or four steps. Boom! There went that thunder again. This time I heard her voice a little louder. Daddy! Daddy, I'm still scared. I went back to her bed. You, you dads have done this. I tucked her in real tight. She, she was as tight as a mummy when I got through tucking her in. I kissed her on both cheeks, and I kissed her on her forehead. I said, now, honey, just close your eyes and go to sleep. Nothing's going to bother you. Your dad's going to take care of you. Just, just close your eyes and go to sleep. Well, this time, I got all the way out of her room. I got all the way across uh, the hall into our bedroom. I got in bed. I pulled the sheet up over me. I, I closed my eyes. About that time... Boom! Another bolt of lightning, another loud clap of thunder. I just listened for the inevitable. I, I didn't hear a sound. What I felt was a tap on my shoulder. <laughs> I opened up my eyes and there was Tina. Daddy, I, I'm scared. You know what came next, don't you? Can I sleep with you and Mama? Well, I just picked her. I did whatever dad would do. I just picked her up and put her in bed between us. And I, I gave her a kiss on the cheek. I said, now, honey, be, be still and, and close your eyes and go to sleep. And I rolled over to go to sleep. And here's what she did, ladies and gentlemen. She got as close to me as she possibly could. I, I mean, she snuggled up to my back just as close. She was as close as my next layer of skin on my body. And directly, there was this bolt of lightning that was so bright. Have you ever seen lightning when your eyes are closed? It's so bright. It was one of those bolts, this huge clap of thunder. She didn't make a sound. She didn't move a muscle. She was fast asleep. Why? Because she was snuggled up next to the one she knew loved her and would care for her no matter what happened in her life. And that's what Jesus is saying in this passage of Scripture. Jesus is saying to us who follow him, don't live your life with distance between us. Come snuggle up as close to me as you possibly can. Live your life as close to me as you possibly can. So when the storms of life come and they rage in your life and they will, you can feel safe and secure and have a heart of peace because you're snuggled up next to the one who loves you deeply. Now, how do you do that, ladies and gentlemen? Well, you can't live your life in proximity to Jesus unless first you embrace him as your Lord and Savior and Master. The first step in living your life close to Christ is to come to the place where you acknowledge your sin, 
You realize that he died on the cross for your sin and you invite him to come into your life and to be your Lord and your master and your savior and you submit your life to his lordship. That's the first step toward living life in proximity to him. Well, there's a second meaning to this phrase, to be with him. The, the second phrase, the way it's used in the New Testament, I think it applies here, speaks of intimacy, not just proximity, but intimacy. There's a difference between living your life close to someone and living your life in intimacy with someone. Jesus says, I want you to do both. I, I don't want you to stop with simply living your life close to me. I want you to live your life in intimacy with me. I'm so glad Charlene's with me this morning. This coming Wednesday, Charlene and I will celebrate our 37th wedding anniversary. Can I get an all? 37 years. I remember the night we got married as if it were yesterday. Our, our church where we were married didn't have a center aisle. Back in those days, I guess they made churches with three sections. And she, she came down this to my right, this aisle. And, and when they threw those doors open and I saw her in her wedding gown, oh, she was the most beautiful girl I'd ever seen. As she walked down that aisle, I thought, you know, there's no way I could possibly ever love that girl more than I love her right now. Those of you who have been married a while, you know how silly that statement is by a groom, don't you? As the challenges, the problems, the valleys and the mountaintops of life come our way, love just deepens. You, you go through a cancer scare together and the love just deepens. You, you have the, the heartache of a miscarriage, love deepens. You celebrate and welcome children and grandchildren into the world. Life experience, you just draw closer Love just deepens. But on that particular night, I thought, I, can, I cannot love her any more than I love her right now. We, we, were, we were intimate then. I, I'm not speaking physically. I'm talking about emotionally. As a matter of fact, after four years of dating, we, we were so intimate. I could start a sentence and she would finish the sentence for me. Now, after 37 years, we're so intimate, she just tells me what to think. <laughs> That's the way it is with Jesus, ladies and gentlemen. We start living our life in proximity to him. We, we commit our life to him. We surrender our life to him. And we start living our life in proximity to him. And over time, as he walks us through the valleys and the mountaintops, we grow more intimate with Jesus. The more we spend time in his word and our daily devotion, the more we spend time on our knees in prayer, morning after morning after morning, in those moments of spending time before the throne room of heaven, we just grow in intimacy with Christ. And that's what he longs for you. More than to be involved in busy and religious activity, he wants you to come live your life close to him and to draw close to him in intimacy. That's what he longs for your life and my life. There's one final way this phrase is used in this passage of Scripture. It speaks of proximity. It speaks of intimacy. It also speaks of conformity. Sometimes in the New Testament, this phrase, to be with him, speaks of conformity, allowing the, the greater authority to mold and shape your life, to fashion your life so that you're conformed to the person he longs for you to be. It's what ultimately Jesus is saying in this passage. 
He calls the twelve, not just so they can preach. He wants them to preach. He's going to send them out to preach. He calls them not simply to cast out demons and to perform other miracles, though he is going to send them out to do exactly that. He calls them first and foremost so that they can come and live their life in proximity with him, in intimacy with him, and that he can mold and shape their life. Let, Let me illustrate it this way. I notice Milton's not here today. You, you know Milton's my boss since I work at the convention, so I'd appreciate if you wouldn't tell him that I play with Play-Doh, but I do. If you were to drive Raleigh traffic every morning like I do, you'd play with something too. <laughs> I don't have any artistic ability, but what I do know with Play-Doh is that if I apply the right pressure and I mold and I shape... I can turn this ball of Play-Doh into really any image I want it to be. If I apply the right pressure, I I can make it a bowl. I, I, I can apply the pressure and I can roll it into, use your imagination, a hissing snake. Just the pressure. Here's what Jesus is saying in this passage of Scripture. First and foremost, I want you to come be with me. Live your life as close to me as you can. Be intimate with me. But ultimately, take your life, the clay of your life, place it in my hands and let me mold and shape you into the person I want you to be. Let me take the pressures of this life. You you call them problems. You call them heartaches. The Lord says, let me take the pressures of this life and just mold and shape. Let me take the the victories in life, Jesus says. You, You call them those happy moments, marriages, welcoming a child into this world, playing with a grandchild, uh, healing from a disease. You, you call them the happy moments. Jesus said, let me take those moments in life and just mold and shape you into the person I want you to be. And ladies and gentlemen, you know what you look like when Jesus gets through molding and shaping. Now, now it doesn't happen until you step foot into glory. I see this morning we have some folks who are in their 90s, the Lord's still molding and shaping your life. He'll mold and shape our lives until we cross over Jordan and receive our final reward and rest in heaven. He will mold and shape until that moment. But when he's through molding and shaping, you know who you're going to look like? The Lord Jesus Christ himself. He just wants to mold and shape. But here's the problem, ladies and gentlemen. Far too many of us We wrestle our life from the hands of the master potter. And we start losing our intimacy with him by neglecting our daily worship, Bible study, and prayer. We begin to lose our proximity by living our life close to Jesus and Regular corporate worship becomes a twice a month event or a once a month event. And before long, we're living way over there and Jesus is way over here. You know what happens to clay when it lives exposed to the elements way over there? 
it gets hard and crusty and useless. Clay, clay is always at its optimum when it's in the hand of the master potter who's molding and shaping the clay into the image he longs it to be. That's what this passage is teaching. You and I define our lives all too often as a Christian by the jobs that we fill at the church. Jesus says that's secondary. First and foremost, come be with me. Surrender your life to my lordship and live close to me. Become intimate with me every morning through Bible study and prayer and keep your life in my hand, letting me mold and shape you into the person I want you to be. Every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. In a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a hymn of invitation. Our invitation is simple, but yet it's life-changing. If you're here this morning and you've never taken a step toward Jesus, you've, you've never acknowledged your sin to him, you've never asked him to forgive you, you've never submitted your life to his lordship, this morning take that bold step toward living in proximity with Jesus. Just simply acknowledge, you, you like me, we are sinners. Jesus died on Calvary's cross to pay for our sin. His blood was shed to cover our sin so that we might come to him in confession and repentance and submission and make him our Lord. Would you come to Jesus this morning? Maybe you're here and your church membership is somewhere else. And even during this interim season, the Lord is just impressing upon your heart. Emmanuel is the place for you. Would you come and invest your life here in this place? Maybe this morning, in the quietness of your heart, as I've been sharing God's word, the Holy Spirit has said to you, your life is not being lived in proximity to Jesus. Your life is not being lived in intimacy with Jesus. You're not allowing Jesus to mold and shape you. Friend, would you repent of that? Would you perhaps come to this altar, turn these steps into a prayer altar this morning, just draw the curtains around your own confessional and say, Lord, I haven't been living my life close to you in the days that have gone by, but I repent of that. And moving forward, Lord, help me to let you shape my life. Help me to get back with a daily season of prayer and Bible study so I can live in intimacy with you. Help me to get as close to you as I possibly can so that I live in proximity to you. Would you come and kneel and pray? Would you pray right where you're seated or standing in a moment? Father, I pray that you would speak to the hearts of your people, that you would draw some to faith in Christ, that you would draw others to this church. Father, that you would draw all of us to recommit ourselves to being intimate with you, to be with you every moment of our lives. 
We pray that in Jesus' strong name. Amen. You've been listening to Dr. Chuck Register, interim pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information and free access to other messages, visit us on the web at ebcraleigh.com.